Church, let me invite you to open up the Bible with me this morning to the book of Revelation as we begin a look into this final book of God's Word, the book of Revelation. If you don't have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to use a pew Bible and you can find this text beginning on page 992. I want to begin by asking the question, have you ever had to wait on something you really wanted? I'm guessing that many of us uh, gathered here this morning uh, waited for quite some time for football season to finally get here, only to have your team lose the second week of the season. Once again, anybody else's team lose yesterday? Or just mine? Probably just mine. You guys mark it down. At least one season this century, Arkansas is going to be good. <clears throat> what, what else have you had to, to wait for? If you're a kid, maybe a long car ride to finally be over. Maybe traffic on Highway 280 just to move on a little bit, to get moving on down the road. Maybe a, a questionable report from the doctor. Maybe a test to be over, maybe the wedding day to arrive, or the baby to be born, or payday to get here. You know, we all know what it's like to wait. And and most of us are not very good at it. We don't like to wait. Yet the Bible is clear that the life of faith is a life of waiting. But not waiting idly. A life of Living and walking by faith and serving the Lord here and now while anticipating and longing for and expecting King Jesus to return and to inaugurate a good and glorious future filled with peace and comfort and joy and justice. You know, that is the theological backdrop to the book of Revelation. You see, Jesus had promised his followers that he would return for them, that he would come and take them to be with him where he is for all of eternity. And the church is waiting on his return. It's been some 60 plus years since since Jesus was crucified and resurrected and since he commissioned his followers to go and make disciples of all nations and since he ascended back to the rightful, his rightful place in heaven. During those decades, many believers, many followers of Christ have died. The Romans are still ruling over them with a heavy hand. In many parts of the empire, the persecution of Christians has reached its climax in the latter part of the first century under the emperor Domitian. Faith is spreading, but believers are under attack. Although the gospel will go forth, the church is unstoppable, the devil desires to destroy it. Makes it his aim to attack believers, to attack the church, to oppose God and the ways of God. He attacks physically, he attacks intellectually, and he attacks morally. And believers must wait. And as they wait, they're called to trust. Christian, we're we're called to, to trust. And to help us trust, God gives us his word, this word. All of his word, but I think particularly this portion of his word gives us this book, this book of assurance that Jesus is king, that his victory is certain, and that salvation is coming to all who believe. So church, as we embark together on this journey, 
peeking into this cosmic crescendo of salvation history. Let's come with open ears and receptive hearts that seek to exalt the Lord and to hear from Him. Can we do that? Let's, let's look at God's Word. I invite you as you find your place in Revelation chapter 1 to join me standing for the reading of our text for today. Let's hear from the Lord. Revelation 1, beginning in verse 1. The Bible reads, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it. Take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we acknowledge that by your grace we are invited to be your servants and to be your children. Lord, to know you and to walk with you. Speak to us now, Lord, for your servants are listening. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Well, there are two types of stories um, that are often told around bedtime at the Jones household. Uh, the first one, I'm sure you're familiar with, it uh, usually begins something like this, once upon a time. And the other one often begins this way, when daddy was a little boy. Some of you think I'm still a little boy. Now, my children, young as they are, know the difference between those two literary markers, and it affects the way they listen to the story. And likewise, church, with God's Word. Revelation is a mysterious book because of its literary type, its literary genre. It's a letter. But we don't read it quite the same way that we read other New Testament letters. It's prophetic, but it's not primarily about a timetable for future events. It is apocalyptic, a type of literature popularized uh, during the intertestamental time period, the time that is between the completion of the Old Testament and the writing of the New. And Jewish apocalyptic literature features extravagant visions offering hope for believers, people of faith, through God's coming intervention to defeat evil and to establish justice. This type of literature is filled with symbolism. As I think we'll see in the weeks ahead, it's not a random symbolism. See, like an elaborate symphony with many intricate and moving parts, there's purpose and order. There's unity and there's harmony. And there's a central message that resounds again and again and again, and it is this, that King Jesus saves. He saves. He rules and He reigns. He's in charge And he saves. And he is coming in glory to establish his kingdom and to provide salvation for those who know him. Though he's ignored by many here and now, all will soon bow before him. And though suffering abounds here, eternal salvation awaits those who follow him. God's redemptive plan is unfolding in God's way and in God's time. His Redemptive plan, it is unfolding 
according to the scriptures, according to the beginning of Revelation, according to all of Revelation, according to the greater context of God's word, God's redemptive plan is unfolding in his way and in his time. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, what must soon take place. And verse 3, because the time is near. Friends, time is in God's hands. He has, He is, and He will continue to accomplish His plans to redeem and to restore sinners in His way and in His time. And Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. He said, but when the set time had fully come. The time that was set, that was known only by God, a time that was set by God, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. You see, God has this whole thing, this whole story mapped out. There's nothing beyond his sovereign control. He is running the ship. Though evil abounds, though suffering is sure, believer, do not be dismayed, Revelation says, because the time is near. Christ the Lord is on his throne. The Spirit of God is at work. There's a cosmic conflict that is unfolding between God and Satan, but the battle is rigged. We already know the outcome. We know where this is going. God wins, and God wins decisively. And soon, everyone will know it. But in the meantime, we wait. We eagerly wait on the return of the King. And we're called to trust in the sure promises of God. He is coming. He will win. And He wants to give you and me eternal life. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. He says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. He says, so the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. That is the promise of his return. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's redemptive plan is unfolding in His way and in His time. It is happening, John says. There's an excitement, I think, about what he's recording, the vision he's received. He's saying it is happening now. All the major events and episodes of salvation history have been accomplished except for the second coming of the Lord to gather His people and to judge the wicked. Therefore, we are living in the last days. And so was John. You see, in fact, all who live between the first and the second advent of Christ live in the last days. In this final epic, if you will, of salvation history. Living and waiting and trusting. And according to Revelation, the final chapter has already been written. And Jesus is the central character. He's the central character. It's about Him. You know, much has been said and taught, you know this, about the book of Revelation. And so we automatically come to the text today with some baggage, some synthetic categories and much end-time speculation. But our task, first and foremost, is to listen to the Word. Not with this or that popular teacher has said about it. What is Revelation about? It is unashamedly and unapologetically about Jesus Christ, the sovereign servant king who defeats evil and who restores sinners. 
John, one of the original disciples, one of the twelve. In fact, one who was in Jesus' inner circle of followers is described here as a servant of Christ. He introduces this book with these words, the revelation from Jesus Christ. It is from Jesus. He is the one who reveals it, who exposes it, who declares it, who unveils it. It's from Him. It is also about Jesus. Of course, He is the one who's revealed in it. This salvation symphony proclaims Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, reigning, and returning. And all Scripture, including this portion, including the book of Revelation, converges into the consistent message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't this what Jesus Himself says to His disciples in Luke chapter 24 after being raised from the dead? He appears to His followers and He says to them, Luke chapter 24, verse 47, this is what I told you while I was still with you. He goes on to say, He says, Everything must be fulfilled that is written about Me in the law of Moses, the prophets... And the Psalms, meant to convey the broad literary categories of the Old Testament. In other words, all of the Old Testament. He says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So in essence, Jesus says to his followers that day, he says, from Genesis to Malachi, this is about me. It's about me. Declares my coming, it declares my identity, it declares what the Savior is going to do. And then he comes. Messiah arrives. He arrives in the flesh. The Son of God comes down. The author of Hebrews begins his letter describing the significance of that event. Son of God, taking on human flesh. He says this, Hebrews chapter 1, he says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. He says the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Who is this son of God? This one who is the heir of all things, this creator of the universe, the one who sustains both the seen and the unseen, the one who purifies us from our sins and the one who sits enthroned in heaven. Friends, he is Jesus the Christ. And John says This book, Revelation, is his written account of everything the angel showed him. Verse 2, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, if the revelation is consistent with the word of God, and if the revelation is consistent with the testimony of Christ, then the word of God and the testimony of Christ must also be consistent with one another as well. Jesus Christ is the central character of this story. So let's read and let's listen to see the glory of Christ in Revelation. Let's read from that lens. Let's look for Christ. Let's look for the glory of Christ. Let's see the glory of Christ in in this book. As we journey into the riches of this canonical climax, let's take Christ in 
Let's see His beauty and His glory. John Stott, the late British theologian and longtime pastor of All Souls Church in London, once said this. He said, A church with its back against the wall, fighting for survival, needs more than moral exhortation and pious entreaty. It must see Christ. He goes on to say, the whole book of Revelation concerns him. Nobody can read it without gaining a clearer view of him. Let's read for a view of Christ. High and exalted, seated on his throne. Let's listen with our heads, but also with our hearts, seeing the glory of the one who roars like a lion and who bled as a lamb. You know, we can't read this book in the same way that we would do a jigsaw puzzle. You know, we all might do jigsaw puzzles a little bit differently, but probably not all that differently. When you're putting a big puzzle together, you can't put all the pieces out where you think they might go. If you do, you're going to quickly run out of room, right? So you focus in on a little segment that you think you can work on for a little while, and then when you complete that, you move on, you expand to another area. And then when it's finished, you look back at the whole, the whole thing, and you enjoy it. I'm saying this like I do a lot of jigsaw puzzles. I don't. I think that's how I would do one. But you can't read Revelation that way. Right? When it comes to reading Revelation, you do the opposite. You view the big picture. For the picture is recapitulated again and again and again in a spiraling salvation symphony portraying the glory of the Lord and the beauty of the gospel. And once you then see the grand portrait in light of the broader message of God's word that comes to a climax in the gospel of Jesus Then, and only then, do you begin to press into the details. You see, the grand portrait declares that God's redemptive plan is unfolding in His way and in His time. Jesus Christ is the central character and the church is the privileged recipient. The church, followers of Christ, will save by the grace of God, believers are the privileged recipient. The Bible says this message and this vision was given to John. But it wasn't to stay with John. It wasn't and isn't just for John. It is for God's servants, verse 1. And the seven churches in the province of Asia, verse 4. Various numbers, no doubt, hold symbolic significance in Revelation. And the number seven and its multiplies, multiples uh, often signifies totality or completion much like the seven days of of creation. And although these seven churches, no doubt, were real churches with real people being addressed, real issues being tackled, these seven churches represent every church between the two comings of Christ. The church is the privileged recipient of what Christ unveils, what He discloses, of what He reveals here. So as we journey into this text, let's, let's not forget that. I think it has tremendous implications for how we approach this book. It's far more about spiritual preparation than it is about speculative prediction. It is more about strengthening believers than it is about scaring unbelievers. It's not primarily a message for America or Israel or China or Afghanistan. It is a message addressed to the church comprised of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language awaiting the return of her king. 
Peter reminds us, as followers of, of Jesus, we possess something significant, something of, of great value that our spiritual ancestors did not. So it's living post the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, we are the recipients of a grand story of redemption planned, promised, and fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And Peter reflects on that. He reflects on this privileged position that all of us now have in salvation history. He writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and following. He says, concerning this salvation, same salvation we celebrate, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, restoration with God. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, Peter says, that they were not serving themselves, but you. Many generations later, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, it says, even angels long to look into these things. In other words, God's prophets spoke of what they did not fully know or understand. But Christian, you now know. You know. You and I are the beneficiaries of what the Almighty God chose to reveal through His servants that have gone before us. So let's not discount the privileged position that we have to open the Word of the Lord today, to hear from the Lord today, to hold and to read and to hear God's Word to us. Let's listen to the Word attentively. Let's listen to the Word. Listen attentively. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it. See, first century believers, both the literate and the illiterate, would have gathered together as local churches and listened to a, to a reader read a book like Revelation, New Testament letters. We come together, hear handwritten words read aloud while everyone else would listen to the Word of God being shared. And a personal letter like this from the Apostle John would have certainly circulated to those seven churches, but then it would have circulated far beyond that to congregations near and far, ultimately to all who possess the Word of God with personal and printed bound Bibles galore today. We don't know what we have. Friends, what a treasured possession we have in our hands. Let's treasure this book. No matter what Baptist, may we listen to the word attentively and may we consider the word personally. Let's consider the word personally. Scripture says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. To take to heart is to obey. Quite literally, to keep it. You see, Revelation may be about eschatology that is end times but it's also about ethics it's not just information it's also instruction to believers take it to heart consider it personally may the glorious vision of christ penned in this book propel us to live fully for him on this earth 
until he comes again. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Why? Because the time is near. What time is near? The return of the king. He is coming. It's coming soon, church. Maybe in our lifetime, maybe long after all of us have departed this life, but in the context of God's redemptive plan in our eternal home, He is coming soon. God's redemptive plan is unfolding in His way and in His time. It's happening. His return is certain. His victory is sure. His promises are true. So listen to the word attentively. Consider His word personally. And finally, serve Jesus faithfully. Serve Him faithfully. Serve the King. King Jesus saves. Serve the King. Live for the Lord. Follow the Lamb. And Lord, may it be true in our lives. Lord, may we bow before You. May we surrender to You. May we long for You. May we seek and serve You all of our days here. Lord, as we trust You, as we believe in Your promises, as we anticipate Your return. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us faith to believe that You are who You say You are. Lord, as we embark into Your Word, this final book of your written word of the coming weeks and months, Lord, expand our vision of Jesus Christ. Draw us to you. May your name be praised in us. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.